Welcome to the Natural History Cupboard. Come on in. And welcome back to the Natural History Cupboard podcast, the place where the weird and wonderful and spooky parts of the natural world come together. I'm your host, Gareth, and with me is, uh, as always, is my spooky co-host, Aaron. Aaron says boo. <laughs> Welcome to our usual Halloween species spooktacular. Uh, if you want to to indulge in our devilish delights this week, we're going to be bringing you some spooky species. But to do that, Aaron, I feel we have to try and uh, resurrect somebody, somebody who's helped with with these from from day one. We need to try and bring him back from the grave. If anything, we need to try and bring back Drew. Okay. Right. Well, I found this. I found this. Uh, this. This chant that should bring him back from the uh, the, the the nether realms of the cupboard, uh, from where he has gone. Say. Where he has gone. It's on this old dusty parchment that I found in the uh, the cupboard over there. Nuff yuch os guldnirk ekmip scards ret one magic drew. <laughs> Did it work? Drew, can you hear us? Come in, Drew. <laughs> Are you there? Coming, coming back to life is pretty... <laughs> it hurts. Ah. So you're with us. <laughs> you're with us, Drew. I, I am, yeah. Um, do you know what? Being dead, actually, is quite calm. Quite calming. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, welcome back to the, uh, the, the inside of the cupboard, um, or from wherever you've been... Wherever you disappeared in into well, the apparently ether. I've been dead, Gareth. We're not we're not recording on this. Apparently, according to you, I'm dead. <laughs> I have I have <laughs> terrible object permanence. I can't. No, you do have terrible permanent. object. Permanent. If I'm not here, he's dead. <laughs> Gareth's been panicking all this time. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, welcome yeah. back for our spooky species special, Drew. Thank you. Thank you for for resurrecting me or whatever it is that you just did you did some sort of weird chant uh, yeah who who's whose sort of uh corporeal powers were you were you trying to administer that to get for oh, well, this to work as you who, should know i'm i'm a level a... level five druid in uh in dnd so you know oh, I've so got it's a, your own yeah yeah it's my own druidic oh, right. magic yeah all right <laughs> So, what just, have you been up to this week? This week, in the astral realm that you've been in, I was I was just thinking earlier today about all the things that I've done since I've last been on. Well, I mean, this week, nothing. <laughs> pretty much <laughs> since since uh, since recording, it's been well, it's been mostly summer holidays and stuff. So it's been very busy, very busy at work, and not really any animal based things to talk about. Um, but we have my partner and I have done a few things since. Um, in going out and uh, spotting some stuff. Uh, we went to Hamwall a little while ago. Um, mm. And we, it's the first time we've, I've, we've both seen a Merlin. So that was cool. Uh, wait, was it a Merlin or a hobby? It was a hobby. It was a hobby. Sorry. Because um, <laughs> you, you won't often get, that's, that's not the habitat for Merlins, hobbies. It's looking for dragonflies. And we saw a grass snake as well, which was good because they're very few and far between. Um, we saw a, I also saw a lizard at work. We had a bin lizard at work. Uh, it had a, um, I did a bioblitz as part of work, and as we as we finished pretty much the the whole session and came back towards sort of packing up, uh, we then spotted a lizard on the bin. I was like, ah. well, add that one on the list. That's a 
that's a spot. But yeah, I mean, it's been it's just been busy, but there hasn't been a lot of wildlife based uh, based anecdotes. I'm afraid. I could try. I mean, I suppose I could have just tried to make one up and come in and just gone. <laughs> oh yeah, do you see that ludicrous that ludicrous display of uh, I don't know, sardine bats last night? Oh yeah, that was the problem. Is they always try and walk it in. Is is the issue? They do. They always try to walk it in. Well, welcome back for our for our spooky species special, there, Drew. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, Aaron. Glad, I'm glad I could bring back all the uplifting yeah. stories of my. <laughs> Aaron, you're you're standing there in amazement that we've just we've just brought Drew back out out of the oh, uh, out out of the ether. What I've have been you been stuck up in to? Photoshop? <laughs> That's all I've done since. <laughs> I can't believe it worked. Wow. Oh, speaking of Photoshop, Drew. Um, oh yeah. So this is not this is not good uh, podcasting. So I apologise to uh, our listeners. But is whilst I show visual? you guys this, right. yeah, I'm going to describe what I have here in my hand, and I'm going to show you guys it because it's something rather special uh, and dear to my to my heart, which um, we're going to get to use when we start recording together in person, Gareth. But there is one for Drew in case he wants to pop in again. At some point, so in my hands, I have the basically I've been cutting wood for 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 winter, and and I've made Taking some slices. Carving. <laughs> it was with a it was with a chainsaw, but there wasn't much skill in the carving. It was just chop chop chop, and then uh, and then onto the chop saw to make these discs. Um, and Atta has been kind enough to let me go wild with her her laser pyro laser burny oh, yes. thing. Ah. Um, so I was pestering. Drew for didn't some, burn uh, the house down. Some you were, you work were pestering. I, yeah. I didn't burn the house down, no. But let me show you these. I'll show you, I'll show you uh these two first. Um so I've got these wood, they're wooden discs, natural wooden discs. Uh it's not gonna be unnatural wood, but you know what I mean. It's actually from a branch. Well, we're doing we're uh, doing the Halloween. So this special, is the so first one. Oh yeah. Oh nice yeah. uh tiger. Now the tiger one is special because uh I believe the facial the facial um it was it was your it was a based on beer yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah based on beer the one that i worked with at nosley this yep. one here it, can, can you guys see that one tuatara i'll bring it close tuatara that's very cool and then this one is for you mate that's my red fox that's Aww. my that was my last episode where i waxed the yeah, record about they're very how great nice foxes ones. are Oh, they're yeah. very cool. Um, Tuatara, yeah, I'm, quite, I'm quite happy with those. Uh, trying to think of any wildlife I've seen this week. Oh, uh, I saw a red kite and two buzzards. I, I watched those with my daughter um, a couple of days ago for quite a long period. That was nice. I saw, I've seen two foxes. Speaking of red fox, I've seen two of them this week. One was around about lunchtime on Wednesday. The other one was late last what, did night. did you eat it? About- eight o'clock no 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 he's uh he's running for a field and there was this pheasant about 200 yards from him downhill oh yeah and the fox was running across the top of the hill but this pheasant was down the bottom of the hill couldn't have been more than 200 yards and i was just thinking stay still buddy <laughs> don't move a muscle um so yeah that was that was cool the other fox the one i saw last night was definitely eating something but i couldn't see what it was we we passed it pretty quick. I sent you guys photos of the toadstools that we saw just up the road. They're pretty yeah, yeah, impressive. Very, cool. um, mm-hmm. very very big size. Proper Super Mario mushrooms as well, you know, bright red, white are. stalk yeah. with white spots. Um, so that's cool. And I don't know if uh, Drew can support me on this, but the red deer are rutting again. You can hear them in the in the village where we live. 
just across the other side of the hill from, sorry, the other side of the valley from us, like on the hill face that's facing our house. Uh, I'm a bit too them far. Yeah, I'm a bit too far from them. I can, I hear, we hear mm. um, owls quite a lot here, um, but not red yep. deer. But again, I mean, you're not that far away. And you did send us a recording. Mm. Other other than that, all there is left to do is for me to wish you guys a happy Wombat Day because it's Wombat Day on the day that we're recording and a happy Halloween because it will be Halloween shortly after this is released. Um, Yeah, I've had a re- relatively low wildlife week, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. mm. Did you, um, by any chance in the last episode, obviously it just came out today, didn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Spoilers, we're recording on Sunday. Did you, did you by any chance talk about the the zookeeper workshop that um, that some of us did. I have not. No. Uh, um, I'm yeah, not sure we... if there's much really to add to it, but like, yeah, we're we're trying to educate your students, Gareth, and um... <laughs> it was greatly appreciated. And and the ones the ones who were there and paying attention did actually rave about the whole situation. So it was uh, it was certainly well, that was good to know. Yeah, it was certainly there quite were, good. There were lots of questions, and actually, uh, they all seemed better than <laughs> I thought they were going to be. <laughs> um, based on the uh, information that I was given, uh-huh. so no, yeah, that's uh, that's next the next generations of uh, next generation of either wild animal keepers or people working in conservation or so. Um, hmm. But some of them, some of them actually were at um, my workplace a little while ago, learning about what real what real work is. I think they've got a little while to go. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a start. It's a start. It's it's a steep learning curve that world. Ah. Yeah. Well, shall we? Uh, shall we go trick or treating into our species uh, for for this Halloween? We've we've done away with the news this week, as it's very hard to find Halloween based news. Uh, so mm. that will be making its return next week. But instead, we will go for our trio of trick or treating species that we're going to launch into now. It's the creature feature. Right. Well, we are into our trio of creatures for our Halloween. So let's gather around the campfire and tell some spooky animal stories. In fact, my one does take place around a campfire to start with. So imagine, if you will, you two, the year is 1776. You're sitting around a campfire telling those stories. Give me some context, Gareth. 1776, you say? 1776. Yeah, all right. What's going on? We're all sitting around a campfire in amongst the bush. Yep. We are basically uh, explorers on a five-year yep. mission to explore boldly where no, no man has gone before. That seems uh, unlikely. <laughs> well, at this point, it was, actually. Um, oh, is it? What? No. no presumably, are, are we right, all... Sorry. No white man has gone before. I was going to say, are we all white people? Because <laughs> I think probably other people yep. got there first. So we just said uh, that we did. We're, we're sitting around a campfire telling ghost stories. Yeah. Now... As as you get to the point of your story, Drew, uh, where you're talking about the monster that's that lives in this area that will jump out and devour us all, just as you're about to do this, you hear a blood-curdling call that sends a chill down your spine. You didn't think there were actually monsters out there. You, well, you, all of a sudden, up. all of a sudden, your your heart feels cold, and your yep. pants feel rather warm uh, yep. because you've heard this rather disturbing sound.
both myself and Aaron now hear these strange calls as well. And, and both of us are on edge. My God, you've, you've summoned something out of the, uh, the, the darkness to come and find us. Um, and very soon these rumors pass from, from us and your, your, your other, uh, explorers around the camp to, uh, to other people coming into these areas that there are devils, devils in these hills, in these forests. Uh, and in fact, the rumors then basically have eyes. become the, uh, the name for this animal and devil seems very fitting for this, uh, for this creature making these horrible calls out into the darkness. Quick question for you. Yep. Did they uh, see? I've just come back and I've just you know spun a thrown a load of spanners into the works. Um, did they did they call them devils before they actually saw them? Did they call them devils yes. based on just the sound? That's just quite good. Yeah. That's quite because they do. You are right. They do look. Quite, they look very cute. Quite, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they do. They there's a slight sort of um, I don't know, like impishness, devilishness to them. Yeah. So um, well. We're, we're a group of explorers, uh, I should have mentioned, uh, exploring a place called you, Van you Diemen's Land. Very fitting with the uh, the devil yeah. name that has been given to these animals as well. Are it's... we Dutch? Are we all Dutch? <laughs> um, no, we're, we're English explorers, actually, on this particular oh. group, the, uh, the 1776 one. Uh, Captain Cook was in charge of this particular uh, oh, expedition. Right. Yep. Um, but it's only when people find and presumably at this point in history, shoot these creatures, that they realize they're in fact not supernatural satanic demons. They are in fact, well, they're small marsupials uh, called, or now called, Tasmanian devils. So as you might be able to guess from what we were talking about, they, they do look rather small and impish, and they have lovely little fangs hanging out the side of their mouth that give them that sort of slightly crazy look. This is the, the Taz from you know, Warner Brothers, although it looks absolutely nothing like uh, Taz from, from that. The, the Tasmanian Devil is its own entity and far more interesting than any cartoon character found on what we now call Tasmania, which is a, a part of Australia. Um, so it, got, it went from being called Van Diemen's Land to Tasmania. So what exactly mm. is this demonic little marsupial? Well, the Tasmanian, Dev De Ugh. the Tasmanian Devil, Sclerophus harassii, which I think is a brilliant name for them, are about the size of a small dog. They're stocky, muscular build, um, with males being anywhere from 8 to 15 kilos, females 4 to 9 kilos. They're all black and have white uh, chest markings that sort of like a little bit of a stripe going across the front of the chest. To give you an idea of the size of a dog when I say that, I mean more something like a, a very small terrier or maybe up to the size of a pug. Um, so we're not talking anything much larger than that. Although, interestingly enough, these chest markings, it's about 16% of wild devils actually have no markings at all on them and are just completely black. Um, so there seems to be a certain percentage that have oddities in, in their markings, but they don't seem to have any particular um, strategic use, I suppose. So the Tasmanian devil, uh, unfortunately became the largest carnivorous marsupial in the world following the extinction of the, the thylacine in 1936. Now, we've covered the thylacine before, and Tasmanian devils have been one we know that one. for a while. Yeah, it's, uh, it's sad to think that the, it's, it's a bit like Britain in that sense. The largest carnivorous marsupial on the planet is no bigger than a small dog. It's like Britain's largest carnivore is a badger. You know, yep. it's yet again... Humankind are very good at wiping out the big and the interesting 
not that Tasmanian devils aren't interesting. Um, it's related to quolls and distantly related to the thylacine as well. Um, it's in a group called the Dasyuridae, which is the mostly the carnivorous marsupials. Now, the life of a Tasmanian devil is short and also quite brutal. And from the day they're born, the uh, the mother will have about 20 to 30 live young, which uh, after a three-week gestation, um, these newborn babies are pink, like fur, and have indistinct facial features. They weigh around about 0.2 of a gram. This is where they have to fight their very first fight for existence. The female devil may give birth to 20 to 30 live young, but she only has four nipples in her pouch. So once these babies are born, they have to climb up from uh, the, fe uh, the female's genital opening and head for the pouch, where only the first four are going to be able to suckle and survive. So competition is fierce, and the few newborns that survive will grow rapidly. They'll then be kicked out of the pouch after around 100 days, weighing only around 200 grams. Uh, the young become independent after about nine months. Then it's a case of fighting for food, uh, fighting for territory, and then eventually fighting for a mate. Uh, not to mention as well that the average life expectancy for a devil is, well, in fact, do you guys want to take a guess at the average life expectancy for a Tasmanian devil? Two minutes. Wait. <laughs> A few minutes, definitely, say, if you're one of those unfortunate uh, uh, 26 <laughs> other individuals who don't make it to those four nipples. I'm going to go well, then with... That, uh, would, that would way bring down the average. Well, yeah. 13 years. 13 years? Yeah. Two years. Two years? Well, actually, Drew's closer. The average life expectancy for a Tasmanian devil is about five years. Okay, question for the class. Is this because they spin around so fast for prolonged periods of time that they just, just keep smacking them into things? They're not the same as the Warner Brothers character. Ah, uh, but there's a grain of truth in every cartoon. Yeah, absolutely. No, they don't spin around. <laughs> no, they don't have incoherent babble when they, they talk. Uh, next, you're going to tell me that they're not... <laughs> yeah, they're, you're they're not, not going to also... tell me that they're, like, they're not skilled basketball players now. That'll break my world open next you're gonna tell me not they're not brown gareth yeah they're not <laughs> but they are good basketball i think players. he already told us that <laughs> oh does he <laughs> oh dear um <laughs> the maximum i don't listen <laughs> the maximum life expectancy in fact the oldest ever uh tasmanian devil lived to seven years of age and that was in a zoo in australia so it doesn't really say much for the life expectancy of these these quite small, ferocious little mammals. When it comes to uh, the the next sort of big survival task, that's, well, that's eating. Although, thankfully, they're very good at it. Their jaws can open up to 80 degrees, which is a huge gaping mouth. If you've, ever seen, a Tasmanian, if you've ever seen a Tasmanian devil open its mouth, uh, it's really impressive. You get to see all their teeth. Um, and you certainly wouldn't want to be on on the receiving end of a bite of uh, one of these, mostly because generating uh, large amounts of bite force is something that they do very easily to help crush bone and tear through meat. They have the strongest bite per body mass of any living uh, mammalian carnivore. It's around 553 newtons worth of force, uh, which allows them to bite through anything, basically. Bone, fur, it, they'll just tear it up and eat it. Uh, and that's because, like uh, another mammal that has a very strong bite force, the hyena, these guys are the cleanup crew. They spend their uh -huh. lives catching and eating stuff, but they will also quite happily 
feed off roadkill, quite happily feed off the sick or the dying. And they basically stop the spread of disease throughout the bush um, and keep the place nice and clean. So they are vitally important for the health of an ecosystem. However, now I have to ask you, though, for some sympathy for the devil, as there is a big problem facing these uh, little animals, and that is called DFTD. Do you guys know oh, what yes. that is? Yes. I, I'm. It's a disease. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a virus. Or the, it's yeah. a virus. It's incredibly contagious. Uh, very similar to what the thylacines had. This is called devil facial tumor disease. And the name is given to uh, this fatal condition that is generally spread just in Tasmanian devils. And it appears in these horrible facial tumors. They're first noticed in and around the mouth, usually as small lesions or lumps. They develop into large tumors around the neck uh, and the face, and sometimes even in other parts of the body, basically affecting the devils uh, from being able to eat and also be able to move in some places. DFTD is one of a few recorded cancers that can actually spread like a contagious disease. And currently we know transmissible cancer spreading throughout animals uh, in seven species, uh, seven vertebrate species across the world, uh, both in terrestrial and marine o- ecosystems. And it's expected further study will likely uncover more examples of this. It's passed basically from devil to devil through contact, um, including mm. fighting and copulation whilst feeding as well. So Tasmanian devils fight uh, an awful lot. That's how they establish their dominance in and around a carcass. And they will bite each other uh, on the face. They'll bite each other on the, on the neck. And when they're breeding as well, part of the whole sort of ritual is them biting each other as well. So it's spread very easily from a, an animal that has it to an animal that doesn't have it. Interestingly enough, it seems to appear far more often in the most dominant animals in amongst the group, which are usually the ones oh, that... obviously getting to the front of the queue. So I say that makes sense doesn't it yeah pays not to push in front of people uh in some cases have they tried giving peace a chance <laughs> i don't think these are a peace-loving animal really they're grumpy yeah. they're bitey but they are lovely there is some hope though for these devils uh, that's basically because people are dedicated to helping um the infected animals ones that you know come into wildlife rescue places in tasmania as well as safeguarding populations by sending some of these animals to zoos around the world to create a shielded population that they can hopefully build back from. Annoyingly, looking into all the places where they've been sent, not a single one in the UK, which is no, really sad. But they, but they are in Copenhagen, and I yes. saw them. Yeah, I saw them this year. they're the closest ones to here. Is Copenhagen? Very cool. Mm. Very, very. America cool. has got tons of them now. So all of your, uh, all of our American listeners who get to go and see them, uh, count yourselves very lucky. All of us in the UK don't get to see this lovely animal um so tasmanian government if you're listening yeah. especially lucky but we use the metric system so you know it's <laughs> it swings around a bus, isn't it yeah <laughs> it's, a, it's especially lucky for them because um australia uh, notoriously protective of sending their animals yeah. out and and uh and bringing animals in so uh well, yeah a lot of people have said this for years that there needs to be populations of these animals sent from australian collections out to the rest of the world to have a stockpile of them if the worst happens in Australian zoos, you know. Yeah, uh, absolutely, yeah. End up with a genetic bottleneck. Yeah, um, I'd, ra- but- I'd rather have more Tasmanian devils than more Rupert Murdochs. Please, Australia. Definitely. I mean, <laughs> I've lost my train of thought there with that. There, there is also a population that is being shielded in the wild 
where the disease actually isn't present. So they're making sure that that particular population is well protected and, you know, uh, mm. monitored so that uh, hopefully there is a wild population as well that will stay disease free. Why Why is that population disease free? Is it just because it's it just isolated, isolated from the rest? Yeah, it just okay. seems to be isolated from the, the rest of it. So Tasmania it being quite a rugged place as well has lots of sort of sheltered areas yeah. and slightly harder to get to places and evidently that's true for tasmanian devils but there it is there is mm. the tasmanian devil a, a species that definitely doesn't de deserve to be called a devil but at the same time it's quite a cool name for it you know it is a cool name i, I think i think it's i think it's okay i mean i mean i'll, I'll talk to i'll talk about those sort of namesakes in my one as well so i don't want to say too much but yeah I, I i think it's okay i think it's okay with the with the tasmanian devil because they do they do look impish they do look like they have sprung up from <laughs> some sort of uh satanic hole mm. Mm. and that's fine true. um that's fine I, i'm giggling because this is such a stupid thing to say but it's, it's true i think if you <laughs> look excited. at one head on you know, head on, like profile with its nose down, like kind of like I'm looking at you now. No, no snout pointing down to the floor, ears mm -hmm. kind of up here. Have you ever noticed that they actually look a little bit like the island of Tasmania? Yeah, I no, I could, I could get that. I suppose, I get yeah, that. they do, they do yeah. look. Uh, and here's here's a uh, here's a, a piece of information that is neither relevant nor uh, nor nor particularly interesting to anyone other than me, but the. Uh, <laughs> Australia's National Basketball League. They actually have a a team, the Hobart's Devils, that are yeah. named for the Tasmanian Devil. Ah, now I was well, aware of that. There you go. <laughs> oh, you were right. aware of that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, let's move on to our next creature feature, shall we? Uh, quick, before I pronounce something else irrelevant. Ah, <laughs> uh, so, yes. Yeah, so that's me. It's been a while since I've done one of these. Yeah. So relatively short. We don't know a huge amount about this animal, to be honest, and we don't know very much about its um, its entire family. And has a very similar naming theme nomenclature. The nomenclature? Yeah, yeah. Uh, as Gareth's. So um, I brought with me for this Halloween a weird bird. It's a, a weird bird that has seven common names in English. Um, that's the importance of uh, scientific names, which I actually think I forgot to write down. So um, we'll, uh, we'll we'll forget that. And maybe we'll we'll do some. Aaron's I'll, got a laptop spare. You can just, I, do, do I know that. I, I already know this because I looked it up earlier. You're right, okay. you're a, you're a diabolicus. A diabolicus. I knew it's not. I knew oh, it diabolicus. Nice. That's the one. Yeah. It's, it's I did. Cool... I, I actually, I just remind. It's just reminded me why I didn't write it down because I looked up the the meaning of the the genus name. Couldn't find anything at all. Couldn't find any what that meant and i just thought well all right i'll skip all of that then because it's not it's not important we don't focus know. on the diabolical bit focus on diabolical bit yeah so seven common names in english the first one is the satanic nightjar which is the one that we're going to favor it's the diabolical nightjar the devilish nightjar and the significantly more sinister heinrichs nightjar <laughs> oh, that I, I, like, <laughs> I weirdly like the man. diabolical one more than any of them uh well, I will discuss that towards the end, actually. Just the names very, very briefly, because I did find some interesting information on that. Or oh, I found it interesting, anyway. That is yet to be seen, as for everyone else. Um, But yeah, as I say, it is a wonderfully strange bird, as all nightjars are, if anyone's familiar with uh, what a nightjar is. um, mm. And as I said, we know precious little about them, especially this one, the satanic nightjar, because they are very elusive. Um, They're nocturnal. 
so to help this mini feature, we're going to talk and explore nightjars in general. And there are, would you guys like to guess how many known species of nightjar there are? Ooh, I'm going to see now. This is my, my lack of knowledge on the nightjar family. Mm-hmm. Do things like frogmouths and that and pot- potus and that come into nightjars or not? Good question. I don't actually know. I've got a number written down. I didn't look at take a shot around. I'm going to take a shot around 50. I'm going a little bit less than that. I'm going around 20. Uh, I know that there's a lot in around Asia, isn't there? So. Uh, right. So, sorry, just had a quick look up just to check myself. So, yeah, frog mouse aren't actually included within the nightjar. And this is literally just nightjars. And also, it does include night hawks. So, what the answer that I have written down here is there's nearly 100 species. But, uh, Aaron, you'd had a, a quick delve. I think you've got well, something a little bit more concrete. Well, bear in mind this is this is a very quick Google, so there might yeah, be yeah. more than this. And I'm counting names by eye, but I think I counted eighty nine names. Yeah. In your subfamily, there's nine species in Cordelinae. That sorry, Cord Cordelinae. That's the Nighthawks. Uh, there's uh, there's there's ten in there, and the rest reside in Capramulginae, which is what's referred to as typical night jars. Uh, yeah, so there's actually a lot of night jars out there. Um, I didn't know that really before. Yeah. Obviously, we're familiar with our own European night. There's actually two that live in Europe, although only one of them, I think, visits us. But um, yeah, so why is this one called Satanic? So night jars across the world are uh, the basis of many myths and legends. Uh, they're probably the most famous uh, to us is their alternative name, which is Gareth. Oh, so with that? No, it's not Gareth. They're not called Gareths, <laughs> aren't they? Oh, look, there's a Gareth. We could, uh, we could try, we could try and push for that. <laughs> well, yeah, some of them referred to as goat suckers, which I think is yeah. a brilliant, brilliant name to give them. Yes. Why were they called goat suckers, or why are they called goat suckers? Isn't it uh, to do with the fact that people believe they drank milk from the uh, the udders, That's like it. milk snakes supposedly do? Yeah, yeah, a lot of animals are obsessed <laughs> with drinking, drinking from those udders, especially um, those ones that clearly don't get enough milk. But you know, birds and and reptiles known for their love of milk. They do like milk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they do. They do like milk. Yeah, just well, just like white people. If you ever smell a bird, you go, "Oh, it smells like off milk." Just like <laughs> us. Anyway, they were supposedly drinking milk of goats, which obviously is absurd. They wouldn't do that. Pretty sure they can't suck. Which that's that that's out of the question anyway. But would you guys be able to guess as to why you think they might have had this name? Why is it going to they... be insects that hang around barns where there are animals? It is a simple. I'm going to say they. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Were you going to say that as well? Sorry. I, I was going to say yeah, they hang around straight in barns where the animals are. Yeah. Yeah. So they're hanging around livestock, um, and the reason is yeah, it's simply that is because of insects. Because the night jars are insectivorous, they catch flying insects at night, especially moths. They really like moths, and they have huge gaping mouths. So imagine sort of a imagine a basking shark, but it's a bird. Um, <laughs> and obviously, big animals attract certain insects, quite a lot of insects. So that's why they're hanging around your goats. They're not looking for milk; they're looking for that sweet moth. So moth suckers. So night jars are also associated with um, bad luck as well, or harbingers of doom. And there are many, many superstitions that can be traced back to uh, uh, the Bible. So according to that particular book, uh, they are a bird that should not be eaten at any cost. Uh, though I did look into this, I could not find why, which is I can't imagine. This which much is strange because they normally cite their sources, but um, 
<laughs> couldn't find anything there. But yeah, so there were also manifestations of, um, according to the Bible, there were manifestations of the, of the souls of babies that have not yet been baptized. So that's me. Oh, that'd be me I as well. I could be. Is it you as well? Yeah, yeah. Oh, are you baptized, Aaron? Uh, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> so you're not a night jar. You can't both, be a night jar. Both me and Drew are pagans. <laughs> yes. So no, um... not by choice. Not by choice. <laughs> did you? Did you put any chance? I, if I had a choice, I would have opted for one of those um, Orthodox Orthodox Greek baptisms where they get properly dunked. Oh right, what thrown in a river or something? <laughs> no, no, no. It's in a it's in a bowl, but it's quite. Have you not seen those videos? Oh, no. <laughs> do yourself a favor and, and are you and... watching? Are you accidentally watching like waterboarding <laughs> videos or something? But yeah, it's by accident. It's, it's what I've been doing for the past few months. Also been away. I've just been googling waterboarding, and I came across orthodox baby dunking. Um. Anyway, genuinely, if you've not seen that, look it up. It's funny. This so the babies are all fine. I should. Have. Probably. Is that the um, one where they also go and then throw plates around afterwards? Um, that's, that's, nice. a, that's at a wedding, isn't it? Stunning lack of cultural yeah, knowledge. I think so. Sorry, Greece. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I also think that the, the Greeks do that. Well, when I was in Greece, they were doing that at, at dinner. So I, I think that might be for no, you just, just a very celebrating bad dinner. Just, just um, any dinner. <laughs> it, that was a very entertaining evening, actually. The Greeks are Probably one of the, the nicest people in Europe, I think. Well, they're better than us. Anyway. It <laughs> doesn't take much. <laughs> anyway. anyway, night jars. Less about baby lunking and Greeks and night jars. Um, <laughs> all these tangents we've gone. So, yes, so their appearance as well, uh, the night jar. Like I said, I imagine a very tawny basking shark flying through the air, catching moths. But it, their appearance does lend to the superstition that clings to them like morons cling to Andrew Tate. Is that still a relevant reference? I don't I mean, he's, know. He's still a twat. Uh, anyway, so they are tawny brown, like I say. They're, uh, they're ground nesting birds, and they have uncannily big eyes. I forgot to mention that as well when um, mm. in, the, in the basking shark comparison. Um, they've also got long wings, long flat heads, and they have deceptively enormous mouths that emerge under tiny bristled beaks. I really like the beak bristles. They're very, really, really nice. Really kind of character-defining, I think, for them. Um, in my they, mind, they look a bit like the whole bird looks a bit like a slightly enlarged, nowhere near as dark in colour, swift or a swallow. Yes, yeah, they do. Uh, they do. As, uh, night, ho- they're... night hawks in particular are very close to swifts. Actually, I think they're, they're related to them as I well. I think they, they are. I think yeah. they are. Yeah, but they also make a chirring call as well when they are most active at night. Uh, that many consider or have considered harrowing, ethereal, and or unholy. So the satanic nightjar's call is said to be a. Uh, a wet um, plopping sound, which is believed to sound like. Now you both have listened to it. What? How would you describe it? Not so much a wet plopping sound, um, yep. which just makes me think of some sort of almost frog call, I suppose. You, you know, imagine something drop, dropping into a pond. Yep. But um, more of a, uh, like I said, I was getting slight tropical jungle vibes to an extent. You know. Oh yeah, like a kookaburra. <laughs> yes, very much like a kookaburra. Those tropical jungle birds found yeah. found all over the world, all of, in <laughs> yeah. every single jungle wherever there's a film. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, more like that... um, I get a bit of a cicada sort of yeah uh, th- thought from the background, sort of ticking sound it makes almost. Yeah, I thought it sounded it sounded like a uh, tap or a faucet uh, with a drip into a in half filled uh, sink, probably a uh, ceramic sink to be specific. 
<laughs> but like sped up, you know, like instead of mm. drip, 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 yep. it's drip, 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 drip. Yeah, which I think is less scary actually when it's uh, when it's quite quick. Sped up. Yeah, mm. when it's all sped up. Um, but it has actually been likened to. You'll find this interesting. It sounds like apparently the bird pulling the eyes out of sleeping people. That what does that sound who, like? Who? Well, I worry about most the people. That obviously, it as very that. familiar with that sound. Clearly, because yeah. it's always happening. Not one night. Not one night goes by where I don't see someone who goes, "Oh, I've just had my eye pulled out." <laughs> it's popped out. I could just, I could just imagine being there with that sort of, you know, birding group and going, oh, do you know what that reminds me of? The sound mm. of eyes being pulled out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Shit. Oh, do yeah, no, I know it? that. I know that. You're right. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> Those so were I, the days. They were the days. Yeah, that was before Which phones, point? wasn't it? When we yes. didn't have much else to do, we just pulled out eyes. <laughs> Which point you slowly back away from that birding group and... Yeah, look yeah. at those people living in the moment, not a phone in sight. <laughs> Um, so I will quickly, for obviously for the viewers, because presumably we're quite interested in hearing what uh, uh, the sound of a person's eyes being pulled out is like. Uh, we're going to play. I'll play you a clip um, of the Satanic Nitro. Um, so imagine someone having their eyes being pulled out. I so imagine it, more screaming on top. I imagine there would be a fair bit of screaming. Um, <laughs> well, you know, um, you don't want to wake people. Well, no, you don't want to inconvenience people, do you? That's true. <laughs> I'm sorry to be an inconvenience here, everyone, but my eyes are coming out. So, yeah, it's also similar to how um, the, the night jars that we have in Europe uh, sound as well. It's not, although it's not been likened to that. And I'm just going to play it. So yeah, that's that's a that's a Eurasian nightjar, and I don't understand personally how it's harrowing, but you know I'm not superstitious. I'd quite like to hear that, and unfortunately never have. But no. one day, one day, I think they're up there with the sort of list of birds like uh, cuckoos that used mm. to be common. Yes, but I've only ever heard one cuckoo. I've never heard a nightjar before. Yeah, I've not heard many cuckoos apart from Aaron's clock. Um, <laughs> funnily enough, I've I've heard I've heard plenty of cuckoos, not including the clock. Uh, but no, I've no. never heard a nightjar. At least I don't think I've heard a nightjar. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And I've spent time in Asia as well. I, I, I maybe I heard one by accident. Never knew, but uh, I don't. To my knowledge, I've never heard one. Well, mm. you were you were closer to the Satanic nightjar uh, out in Asia. Although there's obviously right, quite yeah. a, there's quite a few species to go through, so uh, there's, there's probably more around that area. Um, mm. But yeah, anyway, that's, that kind of sound, along with the apparent strong red eye shine when light is shone in their face, uh, lends the satanic nightjar its name. I can imagine the first time you saw one of those and it was making a sound apparently like the pulling out of eyes and you shone your torch at it <laughs> and you saw just these red eyes. And yeah. a big mouth. Yeah. And a big mouth. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can imagine. Um, but yeah, this particular species is endemic to Sulawesi. Hmm. Hmm. So could you guys tell me anything about Sulawesi? And I ask that because I know next to nothing. Well, Sulawesi is, I think it's close to the Wallace line. Yes, it is. I think it's the, it's the last island before the Wallace line, which divides Australasia, oh, sorry, Australia from uh, Asia. Papua New Guinea, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Papua New Guinea is on the, the Australian side. Yeah. Um, you've got the crested macaque is the only other animal I can think distinctly from there. I mm -hmm. think the Barbarossa's from there as well. It is, yes, that is right. 
I say um, I know next to nothing. I, I did obviously look up some some bits. You know what? I know surprisingly little about Sulawesi. Yeah. It's quite a large island. Yeah, it it's is, an oddly yeah. shaped one. There's, yeah, it looks like a almost like a cross. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, also, it's uh, I know it's mountainous, and I know about the macaques. And I want to say that there was some sort of controversy regarding palm oil in Sulawesi as well at some Almost point. I, I would imagine so. I'm yeah. pretty yeah, I'm pretty sure we've mentioned it at least once on the in like news segments in the past. I'm trying to think of what else. I'm really trying to rack my brain a little bit. <laughs> well, I I can give you a few things that I've that I've uh, looked up and a few things I thought were quite interesting. because uh, yeah, it's it's so it's part of Indonesia. Uh, obviously, as these guys uh, hinted to, it is uh, as you say, it's a large island. It's the eleventh largest island in the world. And interestingly, because you said it shaped like a cross, it has no interior, which mm. I think is is quite cool. Um, it consists mm. instead of four interconnecting peninsulas and has a coastline of six thousand kilometers, which is pretty substantial. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when uh, when I started uh, my research on this, I, I obviously googled Sulawesi because that would be proper. Um, and I was immediately distracted by you know, obviously the the common googled questions, which um. Oh, good. What are these yeah. going to be? Yeah, well, I, unfortunately, you you look through these. A good one third of them were for just Googling Sulawesi is, can I share a room with my girlfriend in Indonesia? There's a bit of a detraction there, but <laughs> if you know the answer to that. Um, yes. No. 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 Well, Any couples that are found to be living together that aren't married could go to jail for up to six months. So there we are. Oh, well. There we go. No. So well, not I bet that was a rabbit hole oh, worth dear. going down. There. <laughs> oh dear, it was. For for anyone who's currently listening to this podcast on a holiday in Sulawesi with your girlfriend next to you in the room, or your boyfriend, we, or your boyfriend, panicked. get out of there! Get out of there now! <laughs> well, one of you get out. Yeah, one, one of, yeah. one one of you just... get out. One of you stay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just did a very quick Google, and it's uh, Sulawesi is the location of the oldest known. Cave paintings. Uh, it's a hand stencil, and you would definitely have seen it. It's, some kid has put their hand up against a wall and uh, yeah, painted yeah. red all over the wall. Yes. Yeah, this is a really cool yeah. uh, little factoid. Well, we go way back, don't we? And we always like art. We've always liked it. Anyway, graffiti, bloody graffiti, <laughs> and, and graffiti. Yeah. But yeah, so due to its size and geographic location, Sulawesi is well known for its endemic birds. Uh, of approximately 328 bird species known from the island, 88, so 27% of them, are completely unique to it. Wow. Uh, yeah, and, and this satanic nightjar being, being one of them. So this bird, like most nightjars, does prefer disturbed areas uh, in terms of the habitat that it likes, so such as tree fall clearings within forests. And as well as open scrubby areas close to the forest edge, uh, they like a, a very dense understory as they're, they're ground nesting and they need good coverage, and they can tolerate considerable habitat disturbance. And again, as you can imagine, as a ground nesting bird, they would tolerate a lot of disturbance because lots of larger animals would always be traipsing through the area, so they would have to deal with it quite a lot. But I don't know if anyone is listening, uh, anyone listening, or yourself watched. Um, did you either of you watch Spring Watch this year? No. Uh... I think there's like one or two episodes, but yeah. Oh, for shame. Uh, but I it was filmed It was filmed at, um, at Arn, RSPB Arn in Dorset, which is uh, an amazing place if you get a chance to mm-hmm. go. And it did feature nesting night jars. So they, they were ground nesting and they were nesting in, uh, I think, fairly sure, some like dead bracken. 
and sort of their gorse as well, so with a bit of protection. But the female um, who was sitting on the nest at, uh, at the time decided one day just to eat one of her uh, one of her chicks, and as you do, as you do, and we know so little about these birds that we just like include the the, the presenters of the show. We just don't know why why she did it. We we kind of doubt that it's common, but yeah, it's just a very interesting behaviour, and it just sort of uh, it goes to show just how little we know about these these animals because this otherwise relatively a relatively healthy bird, relatively healthy chicks, she just decided to um to eat one of them. Now I'm not a child a sacrifice, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah but I, I mean, I'm not a parent, but have either of you two considered just eating your offspring? Um, uh, I can't say I have actually. You know, <laughs> it'd be an awfully long, you know, that's a lot to eat, you know. Yeah. And they'd well, put yeah, up a with fight. A, with a nightjar, I suppose, at least just goes pretty much down in one. Um, I haven't got the sort of size yeah. mouth they do. Yeah. No. <laughs> but maybe, maybe they do it to appease Satan. We, well, we, we don't, we just don't know. But anyway, as, as mentioned, to sustain themselves when they're not eating their own offspring, uh, nightjars catch invertebrates on the wing. And interestingly, as well, the species of nightjar that, uh, for the species of nightjar that migrate, uh, which does include the nightjars that we have in Europe, but doesn't include our satanic nightjar, uh, they will synchronize their migration with the phases of the moon. So they're more active when the moon is brighter uh, because of obviously heightened visibility and increased insect activity. And then during a new moon, they kind of just hunt uh, during dawn and dusk. So they'll basically sort of, um, yeah, they'll move around by uh, when, when, the moon is, when the moon is a lot brighter. So the, most of the migration happens on a, um, on a full moon. Which probably also adds as well to the a lot of superstition as well, because you know the moon's scary as well, apparently too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, to round this fe- mini feature up, then uh, the satanic nightjar is listed as vulnerable uh, by the IUCN. Uh, they are reliant on heavy, heavy un- undergrowth and nearby forest. Uh, forest cover on Sulawesi has sadly declined by twenty percent in the last ten years. And in more recent years, though, uh, scientists have um, better news on that regard. In that. They actually believe that the birds might be more populous than we realise due to their very elusive nature and the lack of studies. So I think actually there's probably quite a few out there. We just really haven't seen them because they're so uh, so understudied. Um, but before we finish, I wanted to uh, to just around back to their name then. So Satanic Nightjar and why they've been included in, in this particular episode as a Halloween special. It may seem like an unfortunate name, um, an unfair name, but actually, many advocates of this bird feel that the name is uh, best preserved um, and that it actually does the birds a favour. Would you guys say Satanic Nightjar is a good name? And if so, why? I think it's one of those names that it sort of gives you a bit of a, not a shock, but yeah, it's, it stands out. As, as names go, yeah. it stands out. And it, if it's helping to bring people to the table for, for conservation purposes, yeah, I think more names like that, the better. It's exactly why that uh, entomologist in Australia named a bunch of different horsefly species after Beyonce and uh, all sorts of other, you know, all sorts of other ones like that, just to basically gain a bit of um, knowledge for them. And the the David Bowie spider as well, you know, mm-hmm. giving giving animals names like that draws people in and gets them to learn about animals. So, yeah, if you get a, people, a couple of people getting shocked and offended by the, the thought of a satanic nightjar or a then they might actually learn something about the animal as well along the way in their disgust. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I um, I tend to agree with with Gareth on that. My my worry was that um, we were going to find that because it's got the word Satan in it, and I mean it's obvious who's the dominant uh, religion of the world, and they're not 
always the most kindly neighbors shall we say not not all of them oh, i don't know how to, i don't know how to describe that without offending <laughs> people but what i'm trying to say is is that when it comes to that name with regard to the uh, followers of that religion they're not always as quick to just see it as it's been named that for some sort You're of novel reason than persecution that. based on on people's religion yeah beliefs. that's what i'm trying to say that's what i'm struggling <laughs> to say in a politically correct way yeah Oh, I could, I could see that as well. That does there, happen. Though. Yeah, that does I mean, definitely happen. It, yeah, it, so you're both absolutely on the money. But yeah, a lot of conservationists do believe, just like Satan himself, who is constantly trying to tempt us. Apparently, uh, the belief is that the name Satanic Nightjar does attract curiosity, and a lot of it is positive. And there's a lot of Satanists out there. They don't actually believe in Satan. But there's a lot of them out there. But yeah, that it's that curiosity. If it's uh, it, if it can be directed into something good, is very very good for these yeah. for these birds and and for others, as you mentioned, Gareth, like uh, like shock value is always like, good. All those shock value is good. It gets them some attention. Um, there are some conservationists, bird watchers, and the general public at large, really. And uh, this could lead to a better understanding of uh, this very enigmatic and mysterious bird and its uh, the rest of its relatives as well. And uh, hopefully. One day, then, we'd be able to do a creature feature where we could tell you a lot more about them because we just really don't. So go look up the Satanic Nightjar. Turn all the lights off, obviously, first, and listen to the <laughs> sound and imagine your eyes being pulled out. Yeah. <laughs> In the middle of the sun. Sounds, sounds like fun. <laughs> Silhouazian jungle. Sparked my curiosity. It, the, the name did its job. Yeah. Mm. Right. Yeah. Well, let's let's pass the torch around the campfire. Aaron, it's it's your time for a for a spooky tale. Yeah, so I'm going to be the last of us to add a creepy creature to the collection. Oh! <laughs> Foreshadowing! Oh. What's he doing? What's he done there? Uh, but my ghastly little specimen is is a first for this podcast as I take you into the realm of fungi. I don't believe we've done fungi at all as a creature feature. We have not done a single yeah. fungi. No. Yes! We've all been really boring, guys. In terms of fungi and Halloween, that can only be uh, can only be meaning one one thing, uh, and that is, of course, Ophiocordyceps fungus, um, a really really cool fungus. Now, for this outing, I retrofitted the cupboard's time displacement unit with tech necessary to utilize pin particles. Which so oh, few, <laughs> so so few listeners are actually going to get any of those references. But there we go. Nonetheless, <laughs> we are not travelling through time and distance this 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 evening. Instead, we are going to observe this invasion of the body snatchers by shrinking us all down to the size of an ant and shifting you over to a more tropical jungle-like setting. Now, there may be a few of you who are asking, uh, "Do I not mean cordyceps fungus?" And you are not alone in your confusion because scientists have been confused by this for a long time. Uh, the two genera have been uh, have long been confused, uh, and it's mainly because at the time of Cordyceps' first classification, there was no Ophiocordyceps species, at least as far as science knew. It wasn't until 2007 when new molecular data would enlighten a uh, reorganizing of the family Clavis... Oh, God, I'm going to struggle on some of these words tonight, guys. Clavis yep. uh yep. to which the cordyceps family belongs. Uh, the, the reshuffle resulted in three distinct families being re- uh, recognized, and that is Clavis 
Cordicipitaceae and Ophio Cordicipitaceae. That's a lot of S's. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of. Someone likes the S's. <laughs> Goodness grief. <laughs> Species of this latter family share traits such as producing dark, flexible, yet hard stromata. And it is to this latter family that our current quarry belongs. Ophia cordyceps unilateralis, uh, which we often think of as a species, but it's actually what is known to science as a species complex. Do you guys know what a species complex is? Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll, I'll explain it that anyway. Sound <laughs> <confident, didn't it? laughs> Just in case, I won't ask you to uh, to admit whether you're telling the truth. <laughs> I'll explain it anyway. It basically is to say that the name represents a group of species who are related but are so similar in appearance and such that drawing such distinctions between them is incredibly difficult, if not near impossible, at the time. Uh, oh, so yeah, they, I totally knew that. Yeah, you guys. Oh, yeah, it's, it's as if you just. It's as if I, I <laughs> mouthed that as you said it. It is. I could see your mouth going along with it just to make sure that I got every every yeah, bit yeah. of that right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to make sure. Yeah. So, Ophiocordyceps uh, unilateralis uh, is an en- ento entomopatho. God, the words in this creature. Entomopathological en- fungi. Enter entomopathogenic parasitic fungus. Uh, And one interesting hypothesis proposes that all species belonging to Ophiocordyceps unilateralis are in fact host-specific, meaning that each species is uniquely restricted to a particular host species. The reason behind this specificity... I'm going to swear in a minute. (laughs) Why did I write it like this? Uh, There's there's too many S's in this one. There's far too many S's. some for the rest of us, man. (laughs) The reason behind this specificity is... uh... (laughs) I didn't even say it right. The reason behind this specificity is likely a result of an evolutionary arms race between different ant species and the fungi, with the ants needing to occupy different habitats and niches in order to avoid competition, and then the fungi adapting to each in order to survive itself. Currently, there are 24 species... Uh, that are recognised as Ophiocordyceps unilateralis. Uh, these are known to exist in Australia, Brazil, Florida, Japan, South Carolina, and Thailand, uh, in habitats ranging from tropical rainforest to temperate forest. Now, I mentioned the terms parasite and hosts, and I think it's now time this fungus earned its spot in our Halloween special. Uh, this is not just any parasite. This is a parasite that infects ants controlling their every movement, their every behavior, rendering them zombies, and finally turning the ant into a spore factory from which to spread its horror further. And that's only the species which are evolutionary paired to the specific uh, Ophiocordyceps unilateralis species. An individual from an ant species infected by spores belonging to a, a, a fungus that is not their fungal counterpart will result in that host's death. And whilst that's essentially the end result anyway, this version of the death is comparatively simple and quick. How does this fungus infect the ant species that are the counterparts to it? Well, that is why I've shrunk you all down. We're in Southeast Asia. We're trudging through dense leaf litter that covers the forest floor in the Malaysian rainforest, but we need to get up high, really high. Uh, we begin the monumental task of ascending to the upper canopy. A task made no easier. Sorry. Can I hitch? Can I hitch a ride on a night gel? 
well funnily enough the nightjar almost made a uh appearance in this but then i went with uh, a, a different bird that's trying to pick us off oh, okay <laughs> yeah so we're having to basically it. we're having to dodge buff rumped woodpeckers uh and and uh. actually birds aren't the only animals that would happily consume some insect-sized meat sacks like ourselves uh, mm-hmm. mammals reptiles and even invertebrates would be happy to catch us as an easy snack Nevertheless, we've made it to the upper canopy, and here we see an impressive expanse of aerial trails. And these have been created by the carpenter ant species, Camponotus leonardi. Uh, and as we follow said trails, we come to a gap that the ants can't bridge. The trees are just too far apart for them. So the only way to get to the other tree is to build a trail down and try to cross a bit lower. But following this trail leads us all the way back down to where we came from. We're back on the forest floor. And here in the damp shadows, once again, of these jungle trees, the ants are exposing themselves to a near invisible threat, spores. And they are present in their thousands. The spores attach that was, themselves. That was teaching the dirty bastards. Silly ants coming down all this, all this way. Exposing themselves. The grass oh, is always greener. Or should I say yeah. the, le- the leaves are always greener in the other tree. And now trying to cross over to that tree has cost them cost them dearly, it would seem. Yeah, they, they've they've been exposed. The spores have attached themselves. They're now locked on to the exoskeleton of our unlucky passersby. And they take up to four days to break through into the body using enzymes and as well as uh, some more mechanical processes. And just if anybody's interested, uh, there's three main in- enzymes at work here. There's, there's chitinase, which breaks down chitin. There's lipase, which breaks down fat. And protease, which obviously breaks down protein. Now, once inside the yeast stage of the uh, fungus's um, uh, life cycle, uh, gets to work on the blood circulatory system. Upon successfully doing so, the fungal infection will cause the ant to suffer random seizures as the fungus takes control of the host behavior repertoire. Uh, it will then cause the ant to leave its home in the trees and stray from all known trails and head back down to the forest floor once again. Uh, this is where the zombie moniker comes into play, although it's not nearly an accurate descriptor because these ants aren't literally the walking dead look, looking uh, for for live prey to eat the bro- eat the brains of, even if they are figuratively the walking dead. What the fungus actually does is control the ant's movement and behavior to be- better facilitate its own survival. It will send the ant up the stem of a plant roughly to about 26 centimeters off of the off of the forest floor and it will cause the ant to bite down onto a leaf using its mandibles to grip tightly and permanently uh, to the appropriate leaf vein some nice thick vein in the leaf there this stage and behavior uh, that's been displayed through this stage is known as the death grip Um, it's worth noting that if we were in a temperate forest because i mentioned they're not just in tropical forests as opposed to malaysia for example the ant would be sent up a twig and attach itself to the lower side of it. So we're thinking more around like South Carolina kind of area that would happen. Mm. Now, eventually mm. infections can result in a phenomenon known as graveyards because once, as I say, once they've locked in with this death grip, that's it. That That is where the ant will remain. Uh, now, depending on climatic, uh, sorry, depending on climatic conditions, and the time of year, these gruesome graveyard scenes can cover up to 30 square meters and have up to 30 dead ants per square meter. That is a lot of dead ants. But the wall of weird fear factor goes deeper, as if the zombie-making fungi aren't bad enough. 
they themselves play host to a hyperparasite known to the layperson as the anti-zombie fungus fungus. The Ten AZFS. Days. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, for the four to 10 days it takes for this infection to spread within the ant's body, another fungus is releasing its own spores. And as the Ophiocordyceps unilateralis stalk erupts from the ant's neck, it is vulnerable to attack itself, and the attack sees spores of this hyperparasitic fungi attaching itself to the young fungal stalk of, of the Ophiocordyceps, preventing it from releasing any, sp any spores itself. Despite the extensive range of those graveyards we just talked about, only 6 to 7% of sporangia are viable spore producers as a result of this secondary pa parasite. And so the parasite's population itself uh, is... Is, is is kept in check and that's all what i'm gonna talk about this uh this this uh this uh species for this halloween creature feature special but uh guys have you have you watched or played the last of us i've watched the last of us and i watched as many sort of videos on the sort of lore of the game so I enjoyed both versions, basically. Mm. Yeah, I've I've heard that it does play um, uh, it does pay a tribute to the game, and I've heard that it's a very good series. But I've I've neither watched nor played it. I just wondered if you guys had any first-hand experience of it. I'm the same. As much as I love uh, Pedro Pascal, I I can't actually remember what, um, what media it was on, which is why I didn't end up watching it because it's one that I didn't have. Uh, I yeah, I, I'm, I'm very fam I'm familiar with it. It might be HBO. It might mm. be. Maybe. All all um, the series that get raved about are yeah, usually HBO, aren't they? It's always yeah, the one it, that you haven't got. But it is it is a uh, I've heard lots about that media, um, and I've seen various clips of the actual games themselves, and I'm very very familiar with it because obviously it is completely based on cordyceps. Hmm. Yeah, but yeah, it, it affects it's really people good. instead of ants. That's right. There there is actually that this this group the. Oh, Ophiocordyceps um, and the cordyceps themselves, the two genera uh, that are involved here, they there's uh, there's a wide variety of them, and they they attack different species of ant. In this case, it was the carpenter ants, but in other cases, it's other ants. It's uh, uh what else? There's there's ones that are that ones that are specific to locusts. Uh, there's ones that are specific to moths. So the one that I was going to do, because I knew that Gareth was doing Tasmanian Devil, I was going to do the lesser ghost moth. Uh, not not mm. not the lesser ghost moth itself, but the cordyceps um, fungus that attaches itself to that. That one's really interesting. So basically, you know how I say these ants, they, they're forced to climb up uh, a, a, a short plant, about 26 centimetres from the ground, and then they latch yeah. on with this death grip. And then it, 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 the the stalk shoots up from the back of the neck of the ant, and it becomes the fungus, and it spores again. With the, um, I forget which one it is, but the cordyceps that attacks this lesser ghost moth, basically, it would have had us trudging through Tasmania, um, and coming out of the uh, of the forest into a clearing, where the leaf litter on the ground is basically replaced by grasslands, and in this grasslands, there's these these caterpillars that. Uh, feeding themselves on the grasses there it's it's almost the only thing that they eat is these grasses uh during that stage of their life and then oh. they get exposed again they get exposed to the spores 
the spores use these enzymes to bury into them uh and and the yeast stage affects the blood circula circulation uh, system and it, and it, it it starts to control their bodies and these caterpillars are basically um the they they are dictated to their their behavioral repertoire is dictated and they're told to burrow under the ground so then they these caterpillars burrow into the ground and then once they're in uh, and the conditions are right, and it's like the incubation period or whatever you would call it is uh is as timed up. This um this fungus just it erupts from the top of their head, and it bursts through the uh through the soil. Um, it's all very uh, it's all quite gruesome. Um, because yeah. you're dealing with fungus, uh, which people can get a little bit squeamish about. Uh, invertebrates, which again people get a bit squeamish about, and uh, and of course this kind of like uh mind control uh infection um yeah it's it's a really good kind of group to body snatcher sort of thing yeah, yeah. invading your freedoms yeah 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 oh yeah. that's very cool people don't like that <laughs> there, there's a really good uh i have no idea what it's from but when i was teaching um some of the students about uh cordyceps fungus um there's a really good video, uh, an Attenborough one. Did you do like a demonstration, or did you? <laughs> yes, I got some fungus and threw it all at them. Yeah, um, went... there, there are no climbing up the side of buildings. Yeah, yeah. let it write your coursework <laughs> for you. Fighting onto windowsills. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's there's a really good Attenborough clip. It's only a couple of minutes, but it shows the exact process, and it's definitely worth watching. Just by typing that in, it's like the first BBC one that comes up on YouTube. Yeah, um, I think I've seen that one. Uh, also, there's a Nat, Nat Geo one that was pretty good as well. Apart from the fact it was Bear Grylls doing it. Yeah. yeah Which it's, it's like a, the whole thing was made person. to be hyped beyond belief. It's like, no, just... just the, footage, the footage was good, though. The footage is really good. Yeah, because that's, some of it was actually the BBC footage. Just re that's, his brand, that's his brand, though, Gareth. If he toned it down, we wouldn't really have a following. <laughs> they do that. They do that a lot, though. There's, they they film so much of of the. So when you guys watch a documentary, uh, this is more for the listeners at home. When when you when you watch a documentary and you see like this perfect like uh, the lion um, pride go from from snoozing in the sun to the females mobilize and they and they they go after the uh, the gnu or the or the zebra whatever it is um and they catch it and they eat it they that didn't just take like they didn't just follow that pride for for that length of time and then cut it up to make it shorter so that we could digest it in documentary form they shot several hunts they, there's literally hundreds they'll have hundreds and hundreds of scenes of 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 these things shot of these behaviors shot on the on film and they'll select the ones and the rest of it goes into stock as stock footage mm -hmm. and it can be yeah. pulled from to make uh multiple documentaries i i assume it can be sold to other people other other parties to be used uh, well, rented or whatever. um it's actually quite interesting how they make documentaries yeah that's i mean that's how we how uh well you, you guys most of the time now uh, that's how we do this podcast as well. We just sort of shout random words out there. We sort of formulate <laughs> the ones all together. All, all the rest stitch of it, it together. And we just haven't found yet a buyer for any of that random random garbage. All, all the words that I struggle on, they're not 
they're not done in like as part of the episode. When we first started this this podcast, we all sat in a room and thought, what words would Aaron really struggle with? And they just got yeah, me yeah. to read out all these words. And every now and then we stitch it in <laughs> to entertain people. Yeah, yep. we just we do it by syllable. We had a bit of him. <laughs> by, <yeah. laughs> so some of the words anyway. in that were incredible. Like they, yeah, they were they were hard. You, I you mean, really dialed it up. Those um. Where were they? Yeah, Hilly. So you've got uh, clavicipitaceae, uh, cordicipitaceae, and ophiocordicipitaceae. That is, that was, uh, that was difficult to get get my uh, my tongue around that one. <laughs> yeah. Devilishly, devilishly hard. Ghoulish uh, words. Yes. I language. Shall we? Um, my language. Sh- shall we? Uh, move away from the campfire now and, and head into our jack-o'-lantern that is our mailbag for this week. Mm. Mm. I've carved it out specially, although it's made all the paper get really soggy and horrible. Mm. Yeah. Let's do it. Bing! You've got mail. Ooh, it's an email. Right, well, we're into this week's uh, mailbag, and our question that we set for you guys uh, for this week or for last week sorry um is what's your question for us um glad to say we've got quite a few people actually asking us random questions okay. Aaron, uh drew there are some good ones here um that could have been so awkward it could have been really awkward with like you know uh any Just of our tumbleweed going where did you put the keys or something like that you know <laughs> yeah well they always are. paid that bill <laughs> definitely right not. So here we go from Lindsay Kinsella. Um, you can travel at uh, to any time period in history anywhere in the world. Where do you go to, Drew? Um, all right. Well, I'm, it's a natural. This is a natural history based podcast, but I'm going to steer this away from that. I would actually like to go back to um, a, a period of time that really interests me, uh, which is a, a a human time. But I would I would quite like to go back to here where we are on Exmoor, and I'd like to go back to a period of time when humans were around, but we hadn't quite ruined it yet. And actually just see what this place Breathe. should look like, what this place should look like um, before it was made into what it is now. So there's, there's yeah, a few trees left and um, just barren, barren fields with nothing living in them. That is my gut answer to that one. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron? We're answering this under the like, like knowing that you know, like all of these periods in time would have been worse than our time now in terms of like, you know, like yeah. medicines and find like survival. Yeah, but you've got you've got stuff, a time yeah. machine. You can get out of there before. Right, right, right. right. Okay, well, there, I've, there's a few because I, I would, I would very much like to. Uh, there, there is a part of me that would very much like to see what the Wild West was like in terms of human history. You know, like nice. and the yeah. you know the frontier days, the pioneer, the pioneers, and. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, th- th- to be someone that knows what I know about wildlife, uh, but be back back then uh, would be very very cool. Um, yeah, I think there are several periods of uh, of of the uh, the age of the dinosaurs that I would like to go back to, um, and then there's like the you know there's the kind of the 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 you know the hidden loki in us all the the trickster in us all that would like to go back in time to when you know when the uh when you've got all these different species of humans 
uh, uh, still coexisting yeah. and give them some port, some some sort of really like important oh technology. You know, <laughs> it's, it's Stop what messing with the time stream. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think uh, yeah, I I don't know. It's a, it's a difficult one, but I I think uh, in terms of human history, I'd love to see uh, what the Wild West was was like, and I'd love to. Uh, in terms of animals, yeah, back maybe the Cretaceous, late Cretaceous, get out of there just be- get out of dodge before the uh, meteor <laughs> comes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, don't be like one of those any 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 sort of um, sort of naturey dinosaur thing that goes back in time. Every single time they always go back to just before the meteor hits. It's just like guys, you could have picked any other several days millions of years <laughs> before that point where those animals would still be there they would have evolved yep. and you wouldn't have that impending danger and it's like oh god we got to get like, i was thinking about prehistoric park with niger marvin and they're like, we've got to save these t-rex like margin marvin just go like two weeks before this point yeah, just go, yeah, there, go there there a period the... where you can uh where you I can just I relax to... you know have yeah. a nice relaxing holiday in the late cretaceous i don't, I don't think mean such to, a thing to dump on nigel marvin uh, apologies well, I'm I'm gonna go with I'm taking a deck chair because my my couple of points in history you've actually like I'm gonna go for a, a human point in history. I'm gonna go down Lyme Regis and watch um uh watch out for Mary Anning um and see her discover her first fossil. Yep. Part of me would be wanting to push her out the way and steal it and go, Mine now. Oh, as if my god, as if men haven't been enough of a problem, Gareth, in their life. <laughs> You're just yeah, as bad as all of them were. It's just as bad as the rest of them. <laughs> it all comes out uh, now. Uh, the other one would be... Maybe I'd that love... did happen. Maybe that did actually happen. Ooh, you, yeah. you've, you Gareth have written is that history. The... <laughs> Gareth is the one that was doing it. The other one would be, I'd like to be sitting there in, uh, it's either Alaska or Canada, um, when the first Tiktaalik comes out of the water. I want to be there with like a little flag going, Woo! Ooh, come on, come on, vertebrates on the land. Scaring it back into the sea. <laughs> yeah, making sure Shit none of the, everything that's gone wrong, so, everything that's gone wrong since. And I, I'd also like to be there in and around the Middle East uh, when the first humans come out of Africa, doing the same thing, going, "Woo, yeah, <laughs> go that way, go <laughs> that way." There's be, other stuff that way in Africa. Yeah, you'd yeah, be like yeah, Ace Ventura, going, "Eat yeah, basically, I'd be seen as some sort of weird white devil appearing. Anyway, moving mm. on to our next one, because we've got a few of these to do. Uh, Louise O'Leary, do you have a favorite place on the planet, even if you uh, haven't been there in person? I'm going to say mine is New Zealand. Um, oh, God. Hands down, I think. You guys? Uh, that's really hard. That's, I don't that's think there is, I don't one. think there is one that I haven't been to because I think I would need to experience it for in order for it to be my absolute favorite place. Uh, I... Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You two stumped on this one then. Yeah, but... I'm really stumped. <laughs> I I think true. You, you you've just said the same problem that I'm I'm having. So how about we look at this in in a different way? All right, places you've the, been. How to, about then? your favorite place you've been? And of all the places that you could go in the world, what's the one that draws you, that's drawn you to to go? Ones that you haven't been to, I mean. Oh, so, Falkland so a Islands favorite place you've Saint been, for me, and then. a place that you you would like to go to. Okay. Um, 
Oh God, it's still really hard though. I've <laughs> I've got an answer, so I'll I'll, I'll yeah, jump in go. and give you a bit of time. So my answer, places I've been to that I'm split between two two things. So firstly, for for the for a human element in terms of like you know like like favorite place for like I don't know like like food scenery, um, and places that I've kind of uh experienced but want to experience more of that would have to be Greece. Uh, particularly the mainland uh, a really fantastic place a uh, place that I've been to for that is my favorite in terms of like wilderness and wild and the animals that are there and the experience I had there and the sights the sounds the smells the food just everything the whole package um, that would be that would have to be Asia uh, I mean that like kind of broad because I would never be able to choose between what I experienced in Malaysia and what I experienced in Thailand they're very different but equally powerful um, and I, again, it's a place I've been to, uh, that I'm very fond of. There's a guy, uh, quite, quite, um, very well known in, in zoo, in zoo circles called Peter Dickinson. And when I spoke to him about my experience in, in Asia, uh, he, he said to me something that will stay with me forever. He, he said, um, he said, Asia's got her claws in you now. You'll always be wanting to go back. So, so that's, that's that the place that I've not been to that I really, really want to go because of, because of like just everything I've seen is like kind of the, the more wilderness areas of Canada. Um, you know, like those, those sweeping grassland plains with the river running through it and you've got the mountains on either side. And then in the winter, it's covered in real thick snow. You've got your bears and, and all that there, the salmon runs and all that. I'd love to go there. Hmm. Right, you've been able to think on it. I'll, I'll quick fire some. I'll quick fire some because I can't think of one in, uh, in, in individually. There's a lot of places, although it needs a huge amount of improvement, there are a lot of places near us that I absolutely adore, um, including the place that I work. It's where it's where I propose to my partner, um, or nearby that is where I propose to my partner. And I, and I do love that place on Exmoor. Um, uh, I won't name it specifically because obviously, you know, hmm. people come in. Oh, people coming down there. All them fans um, would be rushing down there. Exactly, yeah. Um, this is the but place we proposed. <laughs> yeah, but there's several there's several places uh, along there that, that are really good. Um, you mentioned Asia. I have the similar um, uh, sort of association and connection with um, a place in South Africa um, that mm-hmm. I think probably would might possibly top it as my favourite place in the world. Um, although I don't, you know, I don't know when I'd ever get a chance to go back to be honest. But um, it did a huge amount for me. Uh, as a person and I, I adore that place um, and that was near Jeffrey's Bay um, out in South Africa although not on the coast itself mm. and then for places um, I also love Arne as well I mentioned Arne earlier Arne, Arne, Arne is great. nice yeah. Arne is incredible when I first went to Arne I was absolutely uh, absolutely outstanding by it it's incredible and then for places I'd like to go um, to a top of the list I think for me um, which would one be New Zealand just in general and second, I, uh, I'm desperate to get to Norway at some point. I've been to some of the uh, of, uh, other regions in Scandinavia, and it's absolutely beautiful. Pining for the fjords. I am pining for the fjords. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Finland was beautiful, absolutely beautiful, and as was uh, just outside of Stockholm as well. But I'd like to get to see the fjords properly as well. Hmm. Cool. Okay, so we've got two from Jen Babs. Uh, her first one is, "What shall I be when I grow up? Happy." Yes, that's that's probably the best one. Yeah, whoever you want to be, Jen. Yeah, as long as you as long as you're content, 
as you're happy with it. You don't need more than that. Hmm. And the well, second you might, one, you might need you might need some money. Yeah, well, that, that always helps. <laughs> yeah, as much as much as we hate it, it we're still reliant on it. <laughs> the uh, the second one she's asked is, "What is your favorite animal? Not species, but individual." It's like asking you to pick uh, your favorite child. Interesting. Yeah, it's mm, okay. That's a tough okay. one. I mean, animal I've worked with, I think would be different to animals I've had as as pets. Animal I've worked with would definitely be the Tirico guacamole. Yeah, um, I think that's who yours, was, definitely. I spoke, who I spoke about last year. Uh, and then my pets, I'm not going to compare. I'm not going to compare them. No, I. Uh, it would be like comparing a favorite child. I, I mean, my favorite, favorite pet is is my pet parrot, Charlie. Um, yeah, because he's been with me for years. Uh, favorite animal I've worked with. I think it's probably got to go to like there was a either an Amazon parrot um called Tinker mm. who is who hated me <laughs> who hated you yeah but you I, was, I, did, I was working on it I was working on it. you want to tickle Tinker absolutely oh, lovely and I couldn't couldn't go a day without not <laughs> not wanting to to see her or maybe the African grey George or Percy or Baldrick any of those three. Were I lovely. Baldrick. Baldrick yeah. was great. Hmm. Oh God, I, I don't know. I'm gonna go with Tinker just just for the sake of time. <laughs> I think uh, my I've got four favorites. I think uh, so. Of my pets, I've I've had many pets, uh, and I've loved them all dearly. But I think my favorites. I've just realised to Charles next they, to me. So I are they looking at you? <laughs> I can't Cat's see it. Staring at him. Like, I've, I've come just. On. Just I'm going to say walk over to me as well. I've just I'm going to say so I've got Artemis and T'Challa. Obviously, they're, they're my cats now, um, and I love them dearly. And we're both giving you a death stare. I am. Yeah, they 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 they're, they're my favourites. But also there was my what would what would have been really realistically my first cat was a cat called Carly, um, jet black, uh, as beautiful in nature as she was, uh, like um, as a the, you know physical cat. Uh, so yeah, uh, so those three would be my my favorite pets, and then of the the animals that I've worked with, uh, Bira, the um, one of the two tigers that I worked with, and also was during my time with the Mahurts, um, I got to work closely with a a baby elephant called Bundy, um, and I adored her. Uh, really, really uh, nice relationship built really quickly. Which is good because I didn't spend all that much time with her. But yeah, uh, yeah, very fond of of those those five animals. Yeah, mm. my other half has put. Uh, what organisms do each of you detest? Now I think all three of us can say this at the exact same time, the exact same moment. So say it with me: three, two, one. Humans. <laughs> <laughs> and we even rehearsed that bit, people. Uh, yeah. Human, human meerkats are awful as well. Well, they'd be even worse. Uh, yeah. yeah, humans are not great. Um, we we have a, I, we're I, renowned I, for messing things up. I wouldn't say I detest humans no, or I, meerkats. I I don't detest either. Uh, I I yeah, say I in jest. Yeah. No, I don't think there's any organism that I detest, uh, uh, I... including that the the yeah. one thing that I'm truly frightened of, and that's wasps. And I don't detest them. <laughs> in fact, my fear of them has lessened, and I think it might be because of your creature feature. 
Ah, oh, good. Lessened, sub- substantially lessened, I, I should say. I will out myself because oh, I haven't been on this podcast for a while, so I think I can. I can. I could basically after this one duck back in behind in the basement again and <laughs> what and animal have you any, anyone and anyone that that doesn't like me for it. I I really still don't like chimps. I really still don't. I know they're intelligent. I know they're very interesting. <laughs> I just I cannot bring just myself need to, to spend like them some time with them. That's all. You I need don't want to, to because they'll <laughs> they'll try and kill me. <laughs> that's part of no, the fun. actually, no. They won't try and kill me. They will try and do what the nightjar does not, and try and pull my eye sockets out. <laughs> that is true. Actually, that's probably more along the lines of what they do, and they'd they, be considerably noisier. I, I kind of just see them as as basically the same as us, just with without maybe, nuclear warheads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you wouldn't give them without the te- without their technology. But I kind of feel like chimps might even have less restraint. But that's my ignorance speaking. Uh, uh, you, you're on you're on the the right track, I'd say, with the uh, way that they act. Sometimes I I reckon that it's because of the way they act that they might actually be safer than us. They, it's yeah. for them, it's socially acceptable to have a three minute rage, beat the shit out of each other, <laughs> and then at the end of it, go, all right, we're mates again now. Imagine, well, true, if, imagine if that was the case for every war that's ever been. Let's not let's not dwell too much on that because of current affairs. Let's not dwell. Yeah, let's let's no, maybe no, no. skip well, over that's, that. That's true. The, the reason I've said meerkats and thought the other two would say meerkats is because, well, they're 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 all right. Okay, in the wild, meerkats are interesting enough animals, mm-hmm. um, and in themselves, they are interesting enough. Their survival adaptations are, are pretty amazing, but it's the fact that all three of us had to do copious amounts of meerkat talks to people who yep. fan fan over them. Yep. with sort of almost godlike reverence for an animal that is is interesting but there are so many more interesting animals even more interesting species of mongoose and everyone wants to see a meerkat for some it's, absurd reason it's the ratio yeah. of it's the ratio of interest to conservation um yeah there's almost yeah, zero yeah. conservation they're, they're common as muck they serve no conservation yeah. uh purpose but every zoo has to have no. one well, there's an element of education it's limi- there, it's but limited. not, not yeah. one that can yeah. be replaced by something more needing of it. Yeah, not like yeah. a you know a ring-tailed mongoose or something. Yeah, like yeah, like, yeah. Or exactly. like a Malagasy mongoose or something. Yeah. I've worked dwarf I'm, mongoose, related, personally. I've worked yeah, with dwarf mongoose. Dwarf mongoose are lovely, yeah. Yeah. And our final question comes for, uh, to us from Val Vidal, who has said, uh, what's the name you would have given yourselves? Aaron, I think you're uniquely placed based on your previous life as a wrestler you must oh, have given God. yourself a name <laughs> <laughs> what, what oh, was your no. name <laughs> i do you know what i did i never thought that this would this would come up i think we yeah um so my my wrestling name was uh <laughs> it was a uh, it was cd watts um CD which what? doesn't CD it sounds it sounds like i'm saying cd like s-e-e-d-y which makes it sound like i'm a heel a bad guy uh you know like cd what so but actually it was the initials cd uh which were meant Did to you used to spin that's what that's one of the reasons why i changed my name uh my wrestling name to i changed it to the green phoenix um in fact, what I'll do whilst whilst, uh, whilst I'm explaining this is uh, pull up a picture of this. Uh, so CD actually standed for Carpe Diem, which is Latin for seize the day. Ah, which nice. is probably it's probably pretty. Uh, that's, not, probably that's not bad. It's good, but it's probably a bit have... cerebral for for that sort of you know like 
Are you saying <laughs> like, what, are wrestling you fans to... are... No, no, no. I'm saying idiots, that it's not the sort of thing you can go, okay, now everyone, right? So the CD bit, right, stands Carpe for Carpe Diem. Carpe what? <laughs> so, uh, just, um... like to, uh, just to explain, just before I get into the ring, you know, it, it doesn't really lend itself to that sort of situation. I, I changed my name to uh, to to the Green Phoenix. My my outfit was heavily heavily based on the Green Arrow, uh, but it had a <laughs> it had a bird on it. I'll show you the picture now. Um, but I'm not going to put this up on Facebook before anybody asks. To, <laughs> 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 uh, but uh, but yeah, here here it is. I, do you know what Green Falcon would have been better than Green Phoenix? But here you go, on Falcon. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely getting oh, yeah. some uh, some vibes of the uh, the Green Arrow there. Yeah, uh, when we say Green very, Arrow, Assassin's Creed as well. I, I yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. I suppose it is with with, with the with the hook, the hook, hook the hood. the beak, the beaked hood. Yeah. yeah. When I say Green Arrow, we're not talking about Green Arrow from the pretty cool Arrow series. We're talking about Green Arrow that was in the Smallville series with the yellow and black chevrons on the kit and everything. Oh, um, I thought you were going for the Green Arrow from that series, but okay. Uh, well, it's a little bit too flashy for that one. That was a bit of a darker, grittier version, wasn't it? But um, yeah. Why, that was why did you not want to just switch the initials around and just be DC Watts? DC Watts. <laughs> that would that would have worked. From... The power power angle of that, you could have, you know. I actually mm. wanted to be to to be. So my 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 name and my middle name is is Aaron James, and I wanted to be AJ Watts. But there was already a wrestler who was in TNA uh, and was being looked at by WWE at the time, who was called AJ Styles. So I didn't really want to be. And also we had a very similar, very similar wrestling style. So I didn't really want to be. Um, you wanted to be a copycat. I did. Yeah, I didn't want to do that. But then I found out like years later, I found out that the reason why my mum and dad named me Aaron James is because my mum wanted like my mates to call me AJ. But they didn't. They my mates came up with a completely different name because they started. They called they me as Carpe Cuff, Diem. They called me Carpe Diem. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, it's Carpe. Seize the AJ. Seize the AJ. Oh, what about you guys? Now I've embarrassed myself enough. I mean, <laughs> that, that that's completely blown past anything that I think. Uh, yeah. I always, I always, I always like. Sorry to just no, no, quickly you, say, you go I don't. I really don't have anything to be honest with you. Um, apart from, I've always thought my last name would be better if it was Peacock. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> uh, yes. I just have to let people think about it. Yep. There's someone, someone listening who's gonna like get to the end of this uh, this episode, and then at midnight uh, on the midnight of Halloween, they're gonna go, oh. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't have liked it very much as a child. No, that would probably be as an adult. As an adult, I think yeah, that's that's fantastic. (laughs) I I can't think of anything specific that uh, I would want to be called. I'm I'm quite happy with. With what I'm called, um, you share, the, you share the name of a, with a, a Welsh <laughs> oh. rugby player, though, don't you? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the one good thing about my name, I suppose, is it's relatively uncommon outside of Wales. So, you know, do you uh, know what? It did always, did always. It, mean, is a, it is a very Welsh name. Well, it, it always meant because my nan always used to buy myself and my brother, um, like name stuff with names on it, but mm. because. She, she lives in England, and at the time we lived in, well, at the time we lived in um, Australia. But you, you, the only place you'd find stuff with my name on it is usually in Wales. 
And um, yeah, so she'd end up sending us this stuff that will have my brother's name on it, all personalized name tags and all this sort of stuff. And I'd just get generic things that wouldn't have my name on it. So I always felt a little bit, you know, let down by that. But um, the only other naming thing, I've had a pseudonym as well, actually. Oh, that yeah. I, that I used Is it the once. professor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, the professor. <laughs> uh, it was Edith uh, who sent a complaint to uh, a zoo that I worked at at the time. Uh, where where I had basically been trying to get an area cleared and and nothing was happening via the the, the maintenance team that was there at the time or the management at the time. I, I wanted to test the theory, so I created Edith, um, just a, a little old lady who loved to go to the zoo every weekend. <laughs> I was really shocked to see this pile of, of stuff that had been left in an area and was really saddened by it and felt that she, it ruined her... her um, her experience. Interesting thing was, the exact day after I sent that email, it was gone. the uh, The pile of stuff was gone. So, it it sort Edith, of um... Edith, Edith is a powerful name, Gareth. Well, when, Edith when was I, apparently very when powerful. Go, yeah. When I get a message from an Edith, I go, "Okay, right, yes, <laughs> we need to pay attention." <laughs> so it was more of an experiment, really, to see what would happen, but. Um, well, experiment proved, I suppose. The uh, the the opinions of the public sometimes are more better, uh, more yeah, important than the opinions so. of the keepers. Well, there so, you go, uh, zookeepers around the world who might be listening to this. Just pretend to be someone on e- called Edith on TripAdvisor yeah. and put in Some a review. Old lady, yeah, put in a complaint. There's there's going to be so many Ediths <laughs> out there. Just to jump <laughs> up, jump jump. You know what? I can't actually this. remember what it was. It was something like Edith or or something along those lines. I can't honestly remember what the name was now, but. Yeah, I did have. I created like a whole fake email thing, and not like a, you know, <laughs> I, I, I didn't I, go as far as creating like a Facebook profile or something. You know, whole backstory. I, I did that once as well uh, to put in a complaint um, to to a place that I worked at, and um, it subsequently got very quickly deleted. And because I wasn't actually following the email um, that I'd created to make this uh, comment, I didn't actually get. I wasn't. I wasn't paying attention to it, so I didn't get the email. That came through that said, "Oh, the uh, the actual organisation has uh, deleted your review. Do you want to <laughs> do you want to bring it back up again?" So, like weeks later, I looked it back and I was like, "Oh no, it's gone. I can't do anything about it anymore." <laughs> um, there was one other one that is worth w- worth, I suppose, mentioning for my name, and it's due to the uh, the wonderful um, uh, what are the wonderful uh, editorial and British um, media. Yeah, what's this uh, journalistic integrity of the Daily oh, yeah. uh, Mail, the Daily, the Daily Mail. Mail? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which changed my name for me. So I suppose you know, I I have another name that I should be known as, and that's Lloyd Forty Two from Manchester. Uh, hmm. Which uh, apparently I'm a Forty Two is middle name. But I don't. Know. <laughs> that was just that was how they'd reported it. But. Um, there's a there's a newspaper article of me going and picking up a spider from a warehouse, which in itself was a whole hilarious story of uh, quite big burly blokes all just freaking out at the sight of the smallest spider that had turned up in a a container shipment from Cambodia. the The local newspaper, the the North Devon Journal, for all its um, amazing journalistic integrity, mm. passed the story one. on to the Daily Mail, who then got the story even more 
ridiculously uh, confused to the point where there is a photo of me on this article um, (laughs) of me standing there in my zoo uniform at the time, holding the spider in a tank with two macaws just over my shoulder in the background in what is quite clearly a zoo. The caption below reads, Lloyd 42, warehouse manager from Manchester, um, (laughs) came across the spider uh, pictured above, or, you know, he he pictured above, he came across the spider. It's like, yes, that's quite clearly a warehouse in the middle of an industrial estate in Manchester, that. Um, It's Mm -hmm. uh, not at all a zoo. So there he goes. My uh, my other pseudonym is, uh, is not, is uh, sorry, my other pseudonym is um, Lloyd42. So <laughs> there you go. Do you guys, uh, I was gonna say just now, but just to very briefly jump off on this, do you guys know what your names mean? I yeah. think mine means gentle. <laughs> um, mine, because it comes from Andrew, and it be- and that thus becomes uh, that comes from Andreas, which is Greek, mm. uh, it, it means manly. <laughs> Manly, manly, <laughs> yeah. So my um... is because and and means man, I think. Ah, I suppose yeah, andros uh, and yeah. or and yeah. So my, my Aaron is is Hebrew. Um, I think mine yes. is the same as well. I don't know exactly what it what it means. I know that it was Elvis Presley's middle name, but I also know that in Welsh, the Welsh version of Aaron is. Is spelled instead of double A, it's A E, um, and it's the god. It's the god of war. No, <laughs> it's the Welsh yeah. god of war. No, there you go. You've got the god of war, someone who's manly, and then me being gentle. <laughs> do, you, do you know? Uh, sorry, it's another tangent on this, Aaron. Presumably, you haven't actually. You, you've seen Game of Thrones, presumably, but, but I don't think you've read the books, have you? I've, I've, I'm reading. Um... Uh, Fire and Blood, the history of the uh, okay. Targaryen family. Right. So there's a there's a character in the books that's not in the. Well, he's sort of kind of in the show, but he's not really pointed out. He's one of the point of view characters, and he's one of the Island Islanders. Um, mm-hmm. His name is actually Aaron, and it's spelt it's spelt as you said, A R O N. And uh, but he also has the the moniker Damp Hair, and I think that's quite a good one for you, Aaron Damp Hair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's that works. He's one of, He's one of their uh, priests. So he basically keeps bathing people, bathing people like the Orthodox. Um, we swing back straight back to that. There like we go. The circular, circular <laughs> nature. Don't babies <laughs> when they baptize them. He does. That's what he does. Ah. But in seawater. Well, there you go. If you want to um, answer any, oh, sorry. If you want to send us a question like those, you can do so uh, by getting in contact with us on our Facebook, our Twitter, and our email address, which is the Nat History Covered at gmail.com. Mm. Uh, this week's question that we are posing you uh, comes from Drew. Okay, well, based on the theme of a lot of our animals, with the exception, I suppose, of Aaron's, but it does have a reputation itself because of the um, because of the Last of Us, I think. Uh, their names have uh, quite negative connotations, or potentially negative connotations that end up actually being quite curious and, uh, and interesting people. Is there a certain species that you guys could think of? one certain species that you guys could think of that if you could improve its reputation um what would it be hmm. right well it now brings us to the uh, the point in the show uh where we get to talk about Dunk our... a baby oh no, sorry <laughs> no not that one all oh, right <laughs> where, where we get to talk about the many ways uh, that you can help us out 
Um, the first one, of course, is um, well, just listening. Uh, listening to us is uh, is a big thing. Making sure that you're 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 turning up and and listening um, as you should, as you should. The next thing you could do is join our Patreon, and by supporting us on Patreon, you're helping out uh, to make the podcast bigger and better, uh, and expand the things we do uh, in many different ways. So a big thank you to the following people. I'll uh, I'll go through this Halloween style again because we are actually on the Halloween episode. So kicking off with Jim Greenhall. Chelsea McKees. Connie P. October. <laughs> oh, my God. That's brilliant. <laughs> oh, I was trying to hold that in the entire time, but that was good. Uh, On Tolkien <laughs> Reading Day, I'll be doing Smaug and Gollum. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, but money isn't everything. Uh, and you can help us out in the simplest way possible by liking, subscribing, leaving us a review on whatever podcasting service you're listening to us uh, on and uh, telling a friend, telling an enemy. Um, any of these different things can help us out. Go and shout it uh, out uh, Tasmanian Devil, which might shout back at you or uh, shout back at a satanic nightmare into the darkness as its eyes glow at you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's probably got your eyes in its mouth. Oh, yeah, as it pulls, yeah. as it plucks them out. Wonderful. <laughs> Um, it looks yes. back at you with your own eyes. Uh, there's one All for those the different ways that you guys help out do a really big job in in helping the podcast grow. So a big thank you from all of us. Um, when it comes to uh, to you guys just listening and and doing everything that you guys do. Yep. Thank you all very much for your uh, for any any and all contribution uh, that you make, whether that just be yeah, just sitting there and listening to us talk absolute nonsense for a while. <laughs> And allowing it to entertain you, if that's even possible. Indeed. So much appreciation and gratitude for your continued support during these terrifying times. Mm. Spooky times. Horrifying Halloween hours. Yeah. <laughs> we will we will close the uh, the crypt door uh, because well we're at the the end of our end of our show for this week. So uh, a big thank you, Drew, for being reanimated and. And brought back to the world of the living. Thank you. I'm not sure if it was worth it, but was very good. I suppose I suppose the listeners will uh, will, will they, can be, they, can, they can give the verdicts. <laughs> and a big thank you, Aaron. Uh you are you are welcome and damned at the same time. Oh, and a big thank you to you at home for listening and we'll see you next time here in the natural history cupboard bye oh bye (laughs) (laughs) so drew yes you came back into the cupboard i did what did it cost you (laughs) everything (laughs) 